Thanks for downloading today's podcast of Clearly Seen, taught by Mike Kokoris. I think you're going to enjoy what Mike has for you today. And if you're ever in the San Fernando Valley area of Los Angeles, we invite you to Lindley Church. Mike would love to meet you personally and answer any questions you have. Feel free to email your comments and questions to michael at kokoris.com. Now, let's hear from Mike. One of the most well-known expressions concerning the Holy Spirit in the Bible is the little phrase, the filling of the Holy Spirit. That phrase occurs throughout the Scripture. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the Gospel of Luke. It's in the book of Acts. And it's in the epistles, but only one time. As a matter of fact, if you look at all the references to the filling of the Spirit in the Scripture, you have to conclude that it's frankly rather rare. As a matter of fact, as I just mentioned, it only appears once in all of the epistles, and that particular verse, which we're going to look at, is rather difficult to handle. So I'm going to talk about the filling of the Spirit And what I'd like to do is sort of survey all that the Scripture has to say about it and then get down to how does this relate to us, particularly that one reference in the epistles. Now, normally in a sermon at this point, I would have you turn to the passage I'm going to talk about. And when I do a topical thing like this, I would have you turn to the main text. I'm not going to do that yet. Matter of fact, I had a preacher call me this week, and he said, I've got a problem, and I want your opinion. And I said, all right, what's that? He said, well, I've got this sermon, but my text, I don't give my text until I'm 10 minutes into the sermon. What should I do? And I said, wait 10 minutes before you (laughs) give them the text. Do something different for a change. I remember, I think I've mentioned this to you before, I was in a church once and the pastor prayed, Lord, do something today that's not written in the bulletin. So we're going to do something today that's not normal. I'm going to give you the text way deep into this message, all right? So sit back and just uh, relax and let me tell you what the scripture says about the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let's start with the Old Testament. If I were going to summarize what the Old Testament says, I would begin by saying that the filling of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was a sovereign act of God that was for a specific purpose. Now, let me show you what I mean. Um, You don't have time to look all these up, but I'm going to start with a passage that's one of the first references to the filling of the Spirit in the Bible. It happens to be in Exodus chapter 31, and it says this, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uriah, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the, Holy, with the Spirit of God, in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship to design artisan works, 
to work in gold, in silver, in bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work all manner of workmanship. Wow, what is going on? Well, this is in the context of the Lord giving Moses a blueprint for constructing the tabernacle. And then they construct the tabernacle. And so the Lord says at this point, I have chosen some men, and I have filled them with the Holy Spirit in wisdom. Now, the point is, they're filled with workmanship. They're going to build the tabernacle. Why do they need wisdom? Well, the Hebrew word wisdom actually simply means skill. And in this passage, it's being used of skill in working with wood and metal and cloth so that they had skill to do the work to build the tabernacle. That's all this passage is saying. But they, had, they were given the filling of the Spirit in order to accomplish that specific task then it does use the word understanding knowledge. Uh, but those words are probably referring to understanding and knowledge pertaining to the craftsmanship of working with wood and so forth, metal. At any rate, that passage is simply saying the Lord sovereignly picked out some people and filled them with the Spirit for the specific task of building the tabernacle. Then the other thing I would say is that this filling of the Spirit in the Old Testament, at least in some passages, is temporary. Remember when Moses was overloaded and somebody suggested, his father-in-law suggested, that he choose 70 people and they sort of spread out all this work among the 70? Well, the passage on that says this in Numbers chapter 11. The Lord came down in a cloud and spoke to him, Moses, and took the spirit that was upon him and placed the same spirit on 70 elders. And it happened when the spirit rested on them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. Which seems to imply that the coming of the Holy Spirit on those 70 was for that particular moment and never again. So it implies, at least, seems to suggest that it was temporary. On the other hand, uh, Bible students who look at all of this say there are other passages where it seems to be that the coming of the Holy Spirit was permanent. For example, Later in the book of Numbers, chapter 27, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay hands on him. So that little phrase, the Holy Spirit's in him, seems that it was more than an instant. It was more permanent. And so... The work of the Holy Spirit uh, sometimes seems to be temporary and sometimes seems to be permanent. The other, one other thing you could say about the Old Testament filling of the Spirit is that it's connected with prophesying. I read the verse a minute ago where 
the Lord took the Spirit off of Moses and put it on the 70. And that text says they prophesied. So the filling of the Spirit in that passage, and perhaps some others, is connected with prophesying. So, in the Old Testament, the filling of the Spirit was the sovereign work of God, meaning he decided when to do it, not the people, and it was for a specific thing, like building the tabernacle or prophesying on a particular occasion. It was not ever the daily experience of the people. So whatever it was, it was for special purposes, not the daily lives of the saints. It was the sovereign act of God for a specific purpose. Now that's the Old Testament. I said at the beginning that it occurs in the Old Testament, occurs in the Gospels, occurs in the book of Acts, and it occurs in the epistles. So now let's look at the Gospels. Well, actually, it only appears in one Gospel. And that Gospel is the Gospel of Luke. And what is even more interesting is it doesn't happen very often in the Gospel of Luke. For example, again, it seems to be for a special purpose. So we're told that John the Baptist is going to be born, an angel tells his father that, and John the Baptist is said to be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. While he was still in his mother's womb, he was filled with the Spirit. Now, whatever do you make of that? Well, one of the things you have to conclude, again, is this is a sovereign act of God. John the Baptist didn't have anything to do with this. Uh, there are no conditions for him to meet. Uh, that seems to be the point. And as that passage in Luke chapter 1 goes on to say, uh, he's going to be given a very special task to introduce the coming of the Messiah. So that's in line with the Old Testament uh, concept, that it's a sovereign act of God, and it's for some specific purpose. Two other people besides Jesus are said to be filled with the Spirit, and that's John the Baptist's parents. And in their connection, it is said, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spake the word of God. That, too, is in Luke chapter 1. And in case of the father... Uh, Zacharias, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. So again, that's in line with the Old Testament in that they, they didn't meet any conditions. God just sovereignly did it. And it's connected with prophesying. There's only one other person in the book, Gospel of Luke who's said to be filled with the Spirit, and that's Jesus. So it says he was filled with the Spirit and with wisdom. Now, in this case, the wisdom, and by the way, the Greek word wisdom means skill, just like the Hebrew word, but it's skill not with wood and metal and cloth, it's skill with people or life, 
which is the way we would normally think of the word wisdom. So Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and with wisdom. Now, that's it. In all of the Gospels, which means the Gospel of Luke, in the whole Gospel of Luke, four people, John the Baptist, his parents, and Jesus. And again, it seems to be connected with a special work, and it's connected with prophesying, preaching the word, and maybe you could say it's also associated with wisdom. Now, that leaves the Old Testament, the Gospel of Luke. The next is the book of Acts. And now it starts to get interesting because it was referred to in the book of Acts a lot as compared to Luke. And by the way, who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. So Luke is the one that mentions the filling of the Spirit in the New Testament. Nobody else does. Nobody except one passage by the Apostle Paul, which is my text, which we're not ready for yet. We'll get to in a minute. All right. What does Luke say about the filling of the Spirit in the book of Acts? And the most outstanding example that we all know about is on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came, and it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what was the result of the people being filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost? You know that, right? What did they do? Spoke in tongues which means they spoke in a language they had never learned. So being filled with the Spirit, in that case, is directly related to saying something. And later we're told in the book of Acts that what they did was praise God. They were not evangelizing. They simply praised God. Peter then preached in their language, and that was the evangelism. So The tongues and acts was not evangelism, it was praising God. Later in the book of Acts, chapter 4, Peter is said to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and immediately he speaks the word of God. In that same chapter, believers are filled with the Holy Spirit, and it says, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Then we get to Acts 6, And there was a squabble over the distribution of funds and taking care of the widows and poor. And they said, well, choose seven people who are usually called deacons and have them distribute the the money. But here are the qualifications of the seven. They have to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. There it is again. Wisdom connected with the work of the Holy Spirit. Very interesting. Then one of those seven was a man named Stephen, and it is said of him in Acts chapter 6 that he was full of faith and wisdom. So now it's connected with the Scripture, it's connected with uh, wisdom, and maybe we could throw in faith. at least in the case of Stephen. Later in the book of Acts, chapter 13, Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit and speaks the word of God. Barnabas is filled with the Holy Spirit and faith 
Ah, faith again. Later, the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and with joy. Or, um, as one commentator says, they were filled with joy which is, comes from the Holy Spirit. So, we've got wisdom and the Word of God and faith and joy all connected with this filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's it. We've surveyed all the references to the filling of the Spirit in the book of Acts. I'm tempted to do one other thing. Uh, would, would you mind if I got a little technical for a minute? Nobody said anything. <laughs> let, let, let me tell you a little secret about preaching. Uh, people don't want to know about the process. They just want the product. They just, give me, give me the bottom line, right? And that's what I usually do. But in this case, I think I'm going to give you a little of the process. Can I give you a little of the process? You're supposed to say, encourage me and say yes. <laughs> All right, here's what I have in mind. This is a little technicality, but I think it's really interesting and, and, and relevant, or I wouldn't do this. Um, the book of Acts talks about they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and then it talks about they were full of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? Are you making, what are you going to make out of that? Well, I want you to imagine a glass of water. Or just, I'm sorry, a, a glass. We'll put water in a minute. Uh, just a glass. And I said, the glass was filled. And I took a pitcher and poured water in the glass. Then later I said, the glass was full of water. Is there a difference between those two things? Yeah. One is describing an event. I filled the glass with water. The other is describing a state. Now, what is interesting to me is that in the book of Acts, it in some cases talks about them being filled. So that is an event. Uh, and again, the, they, the, the text in none of these references in Acts indicates there was a condition. It just... God filled them, like on the day of Pentecost. They, all the Lord told them to do was tarry. Just stay there until I get ready. And then he filled them. Um, and the purpose of that filling seems to be this sovereign work of God where they spoke. Uh, and speaking is connected with the filling of the Holy Spirit. And prophetic speaking. As a matter of fact, one scholar who's done a lot of digging into all of this, looked at that and said, well, it, since it's connected with prophecy, and there is no gift of prophecy today, in his opinion, and I agree with him, then that doesn't happen today. So the filling kind of thing uh, doesn't happen. Well, what about the fullness of the Spirit? Uh, they were all full of the Holy Spirit. It's a state it's not an event, it's the characteristic. Well, that seems to imply that there was a process. Uh, if I said somebody is full of wisdom, 
That doesn't imply that they zipped open his brain and poured it all in. It implies that he grew in wisdom, right? So, I just thought it was interesting. I know it's a little bit of a technicality, but I think that there is some interesting connotations to this that there is a state in which you are full of the Holy Spirit, not an event. Now, let me sum up Acts, and I'll finally get to the text. You ready? What I'm saying is that in the book of Acts, the filling of the Spirit is associated with inspired utterance. That's uh, Acts chapter 2, where they spoke in tongues. Wisdom, faith, and joy. Those seem to be the ideas connected with the filling of the Spirit. All right, you ready? Text time. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 is the only reference to the filling of the Spirit in all of the epistles. Ephesians chapter 5. Now, I'm going to read that single verse. Well, um, let me me start at verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Hmm. Redeeming the time because the the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, the text is verse 18. Don't be drunk, be filled with the Spirit. Uh, Don't be drunk in excess. That same word is used of the prodigal son who went out and squandered it all on wine, women, and song. Uh, Don't get drunk is the basic idea, but be filled with the Spirit in place of that. Now, if you know what the Bible says about the filling of the Spirit, it becomes immediately obvious that this is radically different. For one thing, the filling of the Spirit throughout the Scripture was a sovereign act of God. God just did it. In other words, there were no conditions. In every case, in the Old Testament, the Gospel of Luke, and in the book of Acts, nowhere are conditions given. All of a sudden, in the epistles, it's commanded, which is radically different than anything that's been said before. Furthermore, And i got to get technical again. May I get technical? You've been trained well. You said yes. At least some of you got it. All right. Let me just be technical for a second. In the Greek text, it does not say, be filled with the Spirit. It says, be filled in Spirit. Period. There is no article the, and the word with is actually the word in. Be filled in Spirit. So 
it's clearly different than every other reference to the filling of the Spirit, and the construction is different. As a matter of fact, some commentators have come to this, and they've said, this is an unusual passage. Uh, one called it, uh, there is a certain strangeness about the construction of the Greek text. Just be filled in spirit. It doesn't tell you to be filled with what? Just be filled in spirit. Now, what does that mean? Because you're commanded to do it. So what are you commanded to do? Be filled in spirit. What does that mean? Well, let me just tell you that uh, there are several possibilities. So let me discuss them. The first one, and the way it's translated in English, is be filled with the Holy Spirit as if the Holy Spirit is the substance with which you're filled. If I said there's a glass and I'm going to fill it with water, what's it filled with? Water. So if you say be filled with the Holy Spirit, you get the impression that what you're filled with is the Holy Spirit. The only problem is that isn't what the passage says. It says that in virtually every English translation I could find, they all translate it that way, but that's not what the Greek text says. It says be filled in spirit. So it is not saying be filled with the Holy Spirit as if the Holy Spirit is the substance like being filling a glass with water is filled with water. Matter of fact, if that is what Paul intended to say, there is another Greek construction he would use to say it. Now you're sitting there thinking, Pastor Mike, you've massively confused me. Would you please get to the point? Glad you brought that up. Let's do it. There's two possibilities. One is that it means to be filled in the sphere of the Spirit. Now, meaning the sphere of the Holy Spirit. The verse that really supports that is in Acts chapter 8, where Paul says believers are not in the flesh, but they are in the Spirit. Ah, you're either in the flesh or you are in the realm of the Spirit. And if that's the meaning then the idea is that you be filled up in the spiritual sphere of your life and not just in the fleshly sphere of your life. In other words, don't go feed the flesh with being drunk. Uh, fill your life with spiritual things. That would be the idea. Does that make sense? Amen. Now let me show you something real interesting. Look at the passage in context. Look at verse 15. So then, walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Hmm. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understanding what is the will of God. How many times have I mentioned that in the Bible as a whole, the filling of the Spirit is connected with what? Wisdom and the Word of God. As a matter of fact, when he says understanding the will of God, 
How do you know what the will of God is? How do you know what the will of God is? The Word of God. Oh, boy. going to have to... If I were writing this, this would be a parenthesis. I call it chasing a rabbit. Can I chase a rabbit for a minute? Okay. A lot of people think the way you get to know the will of God is you pray and the, God, and the Holy Spirit gives you a nudge. You ever heard anybody say, pray about it and, and God will give you peace? I, I, I was taught that. And when I started out in the ministry, I started out working with young people a lot. And I taught them that. And they would come to me and say, I'm dating this person. Is the will of God for me to marry them? And I would say, um, um, well, pray about it. And if the Lord gives you peace, then yeah. And in every case, they got the peace. <laughs> and in many of those cases, I was convinced that wasn't the Spirit of God working. <laughs> so I began to question that idea. And then somebody showed me the verse in 1 Corinthians 7.39. It says, a widow can marry whomsoever she wills, but only in the Lord. The only requirement God puts on anybody who to marry is they've got to be a Christian. And then I started thinking about this. There are not many people in the Bible the Lord picked out a mate for. Let me give you the examples. Number one is Adam. He had no choice. Number two is, Ad, uh, is Abraham's son, Isaac. Uh, they, they sent a servant, you know, and he got the one that came back. Uh, Ruth, remember Boaz? Ruth and Boaz? Let me tell you what it says about the way she found Boaz. He happened, she just happened to be in his field. The Lord had nothing to do with it, according to that passage. That's it. And somebody gave me one other one the other day. But the, the Bible doesn't talk about the Lord picking out somebody for you to marry. You can go marry anybody you want to. Only, if you're a Christian, only in the Lord. Now that doesn't mean everybody is a good candidate for you. Because what you've got to put with that is wisdom. Right? And parents, I know by the multiplied scores and dozens, think... If my kids had just listened to me, they'd have made a better choice. <laughs> That's called wisdom. <laughs> now, end of parenthesis, end of rabbit tail. The point is, the way you know the will of God is the word of God, not by some nudge, emotional push you get uh, internally. As a matter of fact, uh, I looked up all the references to the will of God in the Bible and concluded the Bible's very clear. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. This is the will of God. If you want to know the will of God, he tells you what it is. So the will of God is in the Word of God. Now let's come back to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is connected with preaching the Word. It's connected with the Word of God, and it's connected with wisdom. Now, I've shown you that as I surveyed the whole uh, reference to the filling of the Spirit in the Scripture, but it's just there over and over again beyond those references. So I want to show you that in Ephesians 5, the command is to be filled in the Spirit, and the context is wisdom. And I think what you're filled with is the Word of God and wisdom.
that comes from the Word of God. Now, let me give you some other references. In Isaiah, it says in chapter 11, quote, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch will grow out of its roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. This is talking about the coming Messiah, and it says the spirit of the Lord is going to rest upon him, and it's going to be the spirit of wisdom. Interesting. Wisdom. Or, I mentioned the fact that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and with wisdom. When the problem arose in the church in Jerusalem, the apostles instructed the believers to, quote, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. There it is again. Uh, And, as I mentioned, Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Now, my contention, if you forget everything else I've said, is that in Ephesians chapter 5, the filling of the Spirit is connected with the will of God, meaning the Word of God, and wisdom. That's what I want you to remember. Got it? You say, boy, you sure seem dogmatic about that. I mean, everything I've ever heard about the filling of the Spirit is people had an experience and, uh, you know, you're, you're making it something really different. Are you sure about that? All right, look at the text. Ephesians 5.18. 5.18 says, Be not drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. And here's the result. Speaking to, another one, to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You see that? So if you're filled with the Spirit, what are you going to be doing? Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Got it? Turn to the next book in the Bible. I'm sorry. Go past the next book. Go to Colossians. Uh, The next book is Philippians. I want you to go to Colossians. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and look at verse 15. Drop down to verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. There it is again. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Did you see that? In Ephesians, he says, be filled with the Spirit in the context of wisdom. And the result is going to be singing. In Colossians, the same author says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and you will have, you know, let it dwell in you with wisdom, and you will be singing. So in Ephesians, the filling of the Spirit results in Uh, singing, we'll summarize it. And Colossians, being filled with the Word produces singing. Being filled with the Word, the wisdom of the Word. So my conclusion is that in the Bible, throughout, and especially in Ephesians chapter 5, there are some differences here and there, but the basic idea 
is that you be filled with the word of God and wisdom. And you are commanded to do that. So, I think Ephesians 5 is talking primarily about uh, being filled in the sphere of the Spirit. I want to just mention in passing, I'm going to say more about this later in the series, that some interpret Ephesians chapter 5 as being filled by means of the Holy Spirit. And that technically could be a possibility. If that is the case, then what you are filled with is not at all implied or referred to. But I think primarily it's being filled in the sphere of the Spirit. So, uh, the Greek construction could be translated either way, but I'm going to take it primarily as being in the sphere. Though I think means gets in here, but we're going to cover that later. All right, how are we doing? Did you get it? Was it too technical? What's the one thing you're supposed to remember? The filling of the Spirit is being filled with the Word of God and wisdom. All right, I'm not done. Uh, we've looked at the text. I'm done with it. I've summarized it. I want to talk about a couple of things. This is very important. This is what the spiritual life is all about. If I were going to say it all very simply, I had a professor in seminary, he used to say all the time, think biblically. I haven't said that very much. I, I need to say that a lot. You need to do what? Think biblically. So how, I, that really gets at this. I, that puts it about as simple as it can. Think biblically. Now, I want to conclude by addressing two issues. One is, this subject is greatly misunderstood, in my opinion. Lots of Christians talk about the filling of the Spirit, and they don't know what they're talking about. And one of the greatest misinterpretations is they want to make it a crisis. I grew up spiritually in a group where they talked about that. Like you go out in the woods and have this great crisis experience, and then you're filled with the Spirit. Uh, and it wasn't a Pentecostal group saying it. They weren't, it wasn't a group saying, and then you know you got it because you're speaking in tongues. They just said, that's the way you get it. Uh, and they really promoted that. Uh, now, I want to address, do you have to have a crisis? As a matter of fact, there's a whole view of the spiritual life called the Keswick Movement. Keswick is the name of a town in England. It's named after that town. It started in the 19th century. And their very definition of the spiritual life is it's a crisis with a process in view. And by crisis, they mean the filling of the Spirit and say so. Well, I, I, I don't think that's right. As a matter of fact, I have searched the New Testament. I've gone through, I've crawled through every verse of the New Testament, preached on every verse of the New Testament. It's taken me decades to do that. And I cannot find anywhere in any verse where there is a crisis. The only verse that's sometimes used 
is Romans 12, where it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, present your bodies a living sacrifice. And they want to make that presentation a crisis. But if you understand the book of Romans and understand that he's talking about what's in Romans 6, it's not a crisis at all. It's, a, it's the way you live. You're constantly giving your body to be used as an instrument of righteousness. It's not a crisis. It's the opposite of that in the book of Romans. There is no verse that talks about a crisis. That's not what we're talking about. The other thing I've been taught on this subject, taught this in seminary, is that when the Holy Spirit is, when you're full of the Holy Spirit, He controls you. And I've taught that. I've repented. Um, now, here's the idea. It says, don't be drunk with wine. When you're drunk, the wine controls you, they say. Therefore, when you're filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit controls you. And the illustration is, uh, you, you're driving your car, and you are in control. And you should not be in control. The Lord should be in control. So I've actually heard preachers say, you need to get out of the driver's seat, get in the back seat, and let the Lord drive. He is in control. Is that what the filling of the Spirit's all about? No. You know how I know that? Because that idea is you are not in control. The Bible would never sanction that, ever. The Bible would be diametrically opposed to you being out of control of yourself. As a matter of fact, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. You are to be in control. So the idea that the control of the Holy Spirit leaves you out of control is, in my opinion, a misunderstanding of the filling of the Spirit. So, let me give it to you like I think the Lord intends it. After studying all these passages for many years and being confused myself, what makes it so clear to me, think biblically. Here's the illustration. Uh, matter of fact, I knew a fellow once who discovered the great truth of the filling of the Spirit, and he was a pastor, and he had just discovered it, and he was filled with the Spirit, and uh, we were driving down the road, and he was driving, and, and I turned to him and I said, are you filled with the Spirit right now? And he says, well, I, 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 well I, I've met the condition. I said, you're fudging. Are you filled with the Spirit right now? And he said, well, I, I have every reason to believe that I'm, I said, you're hedging. Are you filled with the Spirit right now? And he says, well, I have to say yes. And I said, then that means the words coming out of your mouth are inspired. And I have one question. Why are you speeding? <laughs> so what's the right idea? And the right idea is this. You need to control the car. You need to sit in the driver's seat. But if you want an illustration that puts it all in perspective, the Lord is sitting in the passenger seat with a Bible in his hand. And he tells you whether or not you should turn right, left, or go straight, or make a U-turn. That is the filling of the Spirit. It's being so full of the Word of God that you are under 
the control of the scripture. Amen. You say, but, but the illustration is don't be drunk with wine. And doesn't that mean he's in control? No. As a matter of fact, the technical term for drunk is not he's out of control, he's under the influence. Now that says it. You need to be under the influence of the Scripture. Now, there's more. I think that there is something called the power of the Holy Spirit. And next time, I'm going to tell you, the title of the message next time is The Power of the Holy Spirit. Would you like to know how to experience the power of the Holy Spirit? Next Sunday, 10.30, we're going to talk about that. I don't think I have ever done that in my entire life. I've been watching too much television. That was called a commercial. But what I want you to get first is the filling of the Spirit is connected with the Word of God and the wisdom of God. Got it? I'm happy. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And thank you for giving us the word that the Holy Spirit inspired. Father, thank you for giving us the possibility to think biblically and order our lives accordingly. Now teach us, Father, by the Holy Spirit to do that. Matter of fact, why don't you just take a minute contemplate what area of your life is not under the control of the scripture. Maybe, maybe sitting there you're some area of your life and you think, you know, I'm driving without taking good directions. Therefore, I'm going in the wrong direction. So maybe you need to make a biblical U-turn. Father, speak loudly by your word. In Jesus' name, amen.